Hello and welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Today we're beginning a new series called 30-Minute Theology. Pastor Nicole is going to be teaming up with Pastor Quint Lindblad, and together they're going to talk about why we can find the Bible trustworthy. We think you're going to enjoy this conversation, so let's dive right in. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, my name is Nicole Shriver. I'm the lead pastor here at Erie First, and this is Pastor Quint. Hello, hello. The uh, worship and discipleship pastor who also can play bass. We learned that this morning. <laughs> and uh, we're starting our... I want to be our... a bassist when I grow up. That was okay. fun. That's <laughs> good. We're starting our new series this morning. Um, we're really excited to um, do this one together. Um, we call it, we're calling it 30-Minute Theology, and we are going to tackle five questions that we often ask about God, and um, we provided a note sheet for you um, so that you can capture anything that you might want to dig into later. I believe that this series is kind of going to be the one that you write something down and say to yourself, I got to look at this, I got to look this up more this week. <laughs> I got to ask somebody about this, uh, because there's so much to talk about with these five topics. We're kind of giving you like a 30,000 foot view to wet your whistle, to get you to start thinking and uh, diving into these things. Uh, so we also created another tool for this series during our Lenten season, and Pastor Quince can tell you a little bit more about how to get involved in that. Yeah, so as we uh, dig into these topics over the next five weeks, um, it kind of coincides with what's traditionally known as the Lent season. We're a little bit... Um, we're not in sync with the traditional Lent season, which started uh, this past Wednesday and Ash Wednesday is all the weekdays and ends on uh, Holy Saturday. But what we are doing is starting today, if you, if you emailed, texted, called, asked where your texts were, they start today at 4, so you didn't miss any. And every day for the next 40 days leading us to Good Friday, you will receive an encouragement, a challenge, a question, a prompt, something to help you uh, keep in step with this 40-day challenge. So text uh, the word Lent to 97,000 and you'll be in. And then those will start today uh, at 4 o'clock, actually. Um, the hope, though, is not just that you get a bunch of text messages or... Uh, Really, the, the point of Lent is to remove something from your life and fill that space with more of Jesus, more of his word. Uh, so whether it is television after 9 p.m., whether it is food, whether it is social media, whatever it is, uh, think of something today that you can abstain from for the next 40 days and then fill that void, that spot, with more of Jesus. That is really the point as we head into Easter. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. Like I said, we're a little bit off of uh, traditional Lent. They did call the Protestant uh, Reformation the rebellion for a little while, so maybe that is appropriate. But uh, we're a little bit off book of, tr of traditional Lent, but opt in and it'll be really, really encouraging and good for you. Um, all right, let's get started today. We're going to talk about the Bible today and the validity of the word and the importance of the word. So um, let, let's jump into that. Uh, I want to do that this way. My best friends are from Hawaii, of all places. I grew up 45 minutes uh, down the road from here in Jamestown, New York, and yet my best friends are from the Big Island, Hawaii, okay? So it's a really crazy story on how that happened uh, that involves Amsterdam and airplanes and all just a lot of weird situations, but uh, if you ever need, this is them, this is uh, Azam and Candice and Luna and Apollo are their names, and they have given me, they're crazy people, they've given me a lot of uh, sermon illustrations, so I figured I might as well just introduce them to you, and then anytime I get to preach, they're probably going to work their way in because they're just, they're great sermon material. So... Um, <laughs> Anyways, it is a crazy story how kids 
from 4,600, I Googled this, and 73 miles away from Jamestown, ended up in Chautauqua County. Uh, he is a pilot. And so anyways, this is what I was thinking, though. A couple weeks ago, not this most recent snowstorm, but probably two, three, four weeks ago, I was in one of our other eerie snowstorms, and I had this revelation, this epiphany, that I have lived in the snow belt my entire life. And my best friends had no, this is a picture of a snowstorm, I mean, like you needed to be reminded what a snowstorm looks like. Uh, yesterday. Uh, yes, this is yesterday. Um, but anyways, I, all I know is this weather. Like, it's just second nature to me. And for them, they got married in January of 2015. He took his job in Jamestown in February of 2015. They flew here, just the two of them, landed in probably the Buffalo airport, got in a rental car with no experience, no context, no idea what they were doing. They were wearing surfer shorts the day before, and they're in their, their car that actually got shipped here from Hawaii is a rear-wheel drive SUV. It scares me, okay? They told me a story once about driving in a blinding blizzard on I-86, two feet of snow in that rear-wheel drive SUV. I was scared. I have no idea how they pulled it off. Okay, it was clearly just God's grace on their life is what got them through this. But this, this was the epiphany that I had. When it comes to driving in the snow, we let anybody do it, right? We let Hawaiians with no idea what they're doing do it in a car they shouldn't be in, right? Right, right. So, uh, this was the, so I'm driving in a snowstorm a month ago or whatever, and I re, I, it was a, hey, Quint, maybe have some grace for these people. You don't know what they know. You don't know if they know anything. You don't know if they're from Hawaii. Like, that, that's happened in your life. So anyways, it was this great revelation of it's the same way with the church, and it's the same way with the Bible. We don't know people's exposure to or experience with the word, and Inside the church, this isn't an opinion, this is a fact. We let anybody in, right? And, and we should. Hallelujah, thank you that we let anybody in. Um, and so it was this revelation, this understanding that we need to understand that and we need to remember that as we interact with people because you don't know the person in front of you, behind you, three sections over from you. You don't know what their experience is with the word. You don't know what understanding they have. I'm always saying, you know, we can't just assume people grew up with a flannel graph board in Sunday school like I did, because we don't know that that is the case. And so we need to get on people's level, and we're going to dig into that this morning, and understand where they're coming from and, and teach in that way. So the most important thing I would say is we need to have grace for that reality. That's what we need to have. Um, so... I think it's important that we remember God has a plan for your life. God also has a plan for every other person's life. And we need to have a grace for that plan. We need to be as encouraging of that plan as we are of our own plan and the plans of those around us, okay? But this is, this is what I would say in light of the fact that we let anybody in, regardless of their pre-exposure to this. I believe the Bible can handle any question we're going to throw at it. Okay, the Bible is not afraid of your questions, is not afraid or, or worried 
The, you know, the Lord is not worried about what you might throw at this word. It is perfectly, in fact, let me read to you from Hebrew, Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, mm. joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I would say it this way, the Bible is ready and waiting for us to dig in and see what it has to say and prove the truth that is in this word. That's good. Um, so A.W. Tozer, uh, who is a great theologian, said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Hmm. It is so important to have the correct and right thinking about God because here's what happens. Thoughts become what we believe. Mm-hmm. And what we believe drives our actions. So if our thinking about God, our theology, that's what this is, the study of God, is incomplete or is broken in some way, uh, then our faith, our actions, our life can all be skewed because of that wrong thinking. And so I'm just going to give you one quick example. Let's say you have this thought deep inside of you, uh, deep inside your mind, that God doesn't really like you, That, that God tolerates you. Um, he, he might every once in a while look down and give you a pat on the back, but really, in all honesty, you're not so sure if God even really likes you. Hmm. Maybe your own sin, your own hurtful actions uh, just replay in your mind, and you can't possibly believe that an all-knowing God, somebody who sees your every waking moment of your entire life, could actually love you in all the hot mess that, that you are. I'm not talking about Quinn, no. Right. <laughs> but that broken thinking... That, that sort of broken thinking leads us to believe that we have to work hard to try to earn our status with God, hmm. that we have to try to prove the fact that we uh, can earn his love, that we are good enough for him. And we believe that kind of based on, on this, this idea that we're already on God's bad side, so we're desperately trying to prove that we're good enough for his love and we're trying to get on God's good side. And that thought leaves us pretty empty and pretty, pretty confused at times, pretty defeated. And so that theology, that thinking about God is really rooted in fear. Mm -hmm. It's rooted in in shame. And then your actions and your faith are lived out with fear and with shame. And honestly, if you live like this for long enough, at some point, you will probably stop trusting God altogether. You'll probably give up on this never-ending impossible mission that you're trying to prove your love, uh, prove that you're worthy of his love after all. And so why right thinking about God is so important is because it literally sets the trajectory of our entire spiritual future. If, if our thinking is skewed deep inside of us, our spiritual life will go uh, totally crooked at some point. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times our real ideas about God are buried deep, deep down. They're buried deep under our traditions, deep under our religiosity, deep under our experience. But I want to encourage you, and this is especially kind of going with the Lent challenge, is it is worth mining out of your heart, analyzing the fact of what it is that you actually believe about God and then comparing it to the truth of who God is. So like Pastor Quint mentioned, uh, this begs the question, if we need to align our thoughts and our minds about truth, then where can we actually find the truth? Where can all of humanity find the truth? No matter where you come from, from Hawaii or Jamestown, no matter what your context is, where can all of humanity come to find the truth, no matter what stage of the journey you're on? And the truth is we can find the truth in the Bible. 
We can find the, the, the right thinking of, of all of humanity right here in the Bible. And the Bible can become our measuring stick. The thing at which we determine the truth is what we're thinking actually true is if it lines up with what this word says. So let's just go back to that broken thinking example for a minute. If we were to take that thought um, that God doesn't really like me that much and I have to try to earn his love, and we were to put it against the scripture and said, okay, is that what the scripture says? We would find Ephesians 2.8. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So, so the truth is you can never earn God's love no matter how many good things you do. It's a gift. It's something he gives us no matter what. It, he is saying, you're, you're never able to earn these things. I'm just going to gift it to you. Uh, I would look in 1 John 3, 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This would communicate that God doesn't just like you. God loves you. That, that he wants you even in your worst and your most ugly moments, that he certainly has seen every misstep, everything that you have said and done that has been wrong, and you know what? He is still lavishing his great love on you. And he has created us, and no one will ever love us more than he does. Yeah, that's good. And then the Bible, the book of truth, one more would tell us in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So that wrong thinking rooted in fear can be totally corrected and washed out when we have the perfect love of Jesus. So, so even if our thoughts repeatedly tell us otherwise, we can find the truth. We can find the right thinking about God in the scripture. And that's why it's so important to have right thinking and proper theology about God. Because when we can align us with the, the gospel, we can align us with the scripture, we can live in truth and in freedom and not behind uh, these thoughts that we have that aren't true. Yeah. So anyway, when we agree sort of that this is the true north, which is a big step, um, we can really start we have a real conversation. So tell us just a little bit more, yeah. uh, Quint, about that. Yeah, so the Bible is the source of our theology. It is where we learn what to believe and think about God. And I think that this works uh, no matter your viewpoint, like we were talking about earlier, no matter what your perspective is. Turn uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 17, if you have your Bibles with you, or the, the verses will be on the screen. But this is a great example of the Apostle Paul speaking to three different people groups with three different backgrounds, experiences, uh, viewpoints of God. And he gets on their level. He has a grace for their reality, but he still preaches the clear and simple gospel to them. So let's start. Uh, Acts 17, uh, this book, the book of Acts follows the activities of the apostles all throughout the, the world right after uh, Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And so it says here, uh, when Paul and his companions had passed through a couple of cities, they came to Thessalonica. This is where the name First and Second Thessalonians comes from, uh, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. All right, so this is an example of people who had some context for who the Messiah was to be, and they just needed Paul and Silas to show up and preach it to them, and they were going to have an understanding and believe it. If you skip down to verse 10, 
Now we're in a city called Berea. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of even more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So here you have yet another group of people who have exposure, have understanding of the scriptures. They actually fact-checked what Paul had to say against the scriptures to make sure everything lined up. And then they were in. They, they believed, okay? And then lastly, if you will probably turn your page over to verse 22. Here you find Paul in Athens. In Athens, they had altars to every god that they could. They were, in fact, we'll read what he has to say. They're a very religious people. Um, but he get, they have no context for the one true God. And so he gets on their level, he understands their viewpoint, and he preaches in such a way. So let's read. Verse 22 says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. Come on. Uh, come All on. Right. All right. That's good. And said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object, objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you, so you are ignorant or guessing of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you skip down to verse 28, this is actually quoting one of their philosophers, but he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so I think this is important because it shows us three different people groups, three different viewpoints and understanding of the word, and yet a way to minister to them and to, to convey the message of the gospel to them clearly uh, regardless of their background, okay? Whether they grew up in church their whole life, whether they are Hawaiians driving in 18 inches of snow with no clue what they are doing, he gets on their level and he reaches them accordingly. I think this is huge for us, and I think it's so important to remember about those that are around us in here today and also those that we encounter every single day outside of these four walls. Uh, their context and experience will always vary. Um, so we've talked about the fact that uh, scripture holds all truth and how everyone can relate to it. That's what Pastor Quint was really diving into Acts 17 to show that. Um, and it can help us grow spiritually from whatever point that we are in our spiritual life. So a valid question that we often ask or maybe others ask us is, okay, but why? Why is the Bible trustworthy? Uh, we can stand here and say this is the truth, this is the truth, but you may ask or others may ask you why. Like why, why can we trust it? And so um, what makes this book something that we can really rely on? in the ways that we just covered. And so there are four things that I believe uh, that we can cover today that make this Bible a book that we can trust. And so I'm going to write them over here for you. Uh, they make fun of me how much I love this whiteboard, but I'm a fan. Okay, the first one is authority. If you would write these down on your paper, I would feel happy. Uh, the second would be clarity. The third would be necessity. And then the fourth is sufficiency. Okay, so these are the four 
reasons why we can trust the Bible. And I'm going to go through each one of them really briefly for you this morning so that you can have, uh, again, a little taste of something to dive into uh, this week or as we're going through the series. So let's just start with authority as the first reason why the Bible can be trusted. So all the words in the Bible are God's words. Okay, all the words in the Bible are God's words. In the Old Testament, you will find certain passages that are introduced with this phrase, thus saith the Lord. Okay, that was pretty clear, right? Pretty obvious. This is what the Lord is saying. Uh, even though if the words are not attributed to a direct quote from God, they are his words. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, the Bible says there are many ways with which the actual words of the Bible were written. Sometimes God spoke directly to the author. Uh, they simply recorded what, what they heard. Other times, the author based much of their writings on interviews or research, a lot like the book of Luke. Um, at other times, the Holy Spirit would bring into the minds uh, of, a, of the writer what Jesus had taught the writer, and they would record it. But regardless of the way the words came to the authors, they are the very words that God claims as his own. Mm -hmm. And so I think something unique uh, to the Old Testament is that what we know about Jesus is he was a rabbi, he was a preacher, he was a teacher of the scripture. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' ministry involved the instruction and the application of the Old Testament. So if there were flaws, if there were misquotes, if there were words that were not Holy Spirit-led or incorrect, Jesus himself would have seen them. He would have brought clarity to them. He would have been the, the great editor, right? Yeah, yeah. He would have said, okay, wait, this part wasn't inspired by God. And so he actually was able to vet the Old Testament. Like he had seen those things uh, on the scrolls that he was reading from. And so I think that's really can give us a lot of confidence in some of those parts of the scripture. So if God claims that the words of scripture are his own and there is no, ultimately no higher authority than what is written, because what, for what authority could be higher than God? Okay, so if he, if he claims these are his own, then this is the highest authority. And so when we seek to understand those words in the scripture, in doing so, we are actually seeking to understand God himself. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we trust and obey the scripture, we're actually trusting and obeying God himself. The Bible carries great authority, which is one reason that we can trust it. Okay, that's the first thing, authority. Second would be clarity. Um, there are some mysteries that we cannot comprehend in the scripture, but that shouldn't overwhelm us. The things of God are spiritually discerned. So here's, here's the idea. A lot of times uh, we'll go at this book from an angle of intellect, which isn't wrong. We need to have an intellectual ability to process. But the truth is the scripture becomes clearer and clearer to us as we grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with Christ. So even the disciples, those were the guys that were walking around with Jesus all the time. They were seeing what he was doing. They were the ones who could ask him questions about what he was teaching. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even always understand what Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 15, uh, Peter is saying to Jesus, uh, wait, can you explain that parable again? And Jesus replies, are you still so dull? <laughs> Whoops. Right. Meaning, uh, you still don't know what I'm trying to say, Peter? Like, you've been walking around with me all of this time. I've explained this over and over. And so I think it can feel like a catch-22 at times because you need faith to go deeper past what you can't understand in the Scripture. But that very faith is what gives you more clarity of the Scripture. You see? Mm -hmm. And so God is asking us to have faith in the Scripture, and that will give us more clarity. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, okay, figure this out in your head.
head and have no Holy Spirit connected to it. So as we read the scripture, we know that some passages are easier to understand than others. There are some things we don't know. There are some mysteries of God that are in there. And there are many things we have to wrestle through. However, the Bible gives us incredible clarity on the most important things. There are very clear instructions on how to become a Christ follower. No doubt about that. There are very clear instructions on how to live as a Christian and how to grow in our faith. And we have a lifetime of understandable instruction in the scripture before even getting to the parts we can't get our minds around. Am I right? Right. So let's start there. Let's get all that on lock. And then we can start debating and trying to be, oh, we don't understand this or that. I think a lot of times we we blame clarity on, we use that as an excuse, well, this part doesn't really make sense, so then maybe it all shouldn't make sense. When God's really saying, hey, the things I've told you really, really clearly so that you're not going to miss, are you working on those things? Right. Are you Thanks applying so those things? Are you applying God's word? Yeah. Okay, the third thing is necessity. Um, the Bible is a necessity if we want a thriving spiritual life. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So just as our physical lives are nourished with food and coffee for many of you, our spiritual lives are nourished with God's word, okay? So to neglect regular reading, regular hearing, regular application of God's word is detrimental to the health of your soul. Amen. It's completely detrimental. You may even be starving. Right. And so there is this this thing called general revelation, and and this is what all mankind understands. It's it's that moral compass that we're all born with, uh, that we have deep inside of us, that inner consciousness that reminds us that there's something bigger out there, and there's a good and and there's a wrong and an evil, and, and and that there is that inside of us. It's this general general revelation because it has been given to all people. Yep. But there's also this thing called special revelation. And this is God's revelation to specific people. It's the things that God wants to reveal to us individually, things that only appear, apply to our lives, things that apply to our timing. And we need the scripture to reveal to us any special revelation that God has for our individual specific lives. And so the Bible is necessary for us to hear from God in this way. You might say, well, there's no uh, chapter in here about how many kids you're supposed to have, or if I'm supposed to uh, change jobs, or... Just, just keep having them. Okay, well, this is <laughs> bad advice from this guy, but... I mean, five's a good place to stop. But. That's good. Uh, so we often say that, but here's the deal. The necessity of the scripture to know the specific revelation of what God wants to do in your life is so vital and important, yeah. because this is where you will, when things pop into your mind, thoughts about having five kids or going on a mission trip or doing all these things, you can align them with the word of God to decide if they're truth or not, okay? It's it's even why, um, just to jump in before the last point, it's even why on Sunday mornings when we'll have words and people will come up and share, all of that is tested against the word. It's not a free-for-all. It may look or seem like that if you don't know what's happening, but it is Holy Spirit revelation tested against the word. Is this for the body or is this for a specific person? Mm -hmm. That's that exact situation played out in front of us regularly right here. Yeah, really good. Um, So lastly, the Bible can be trusted because it is sufficient, sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to go back to that 2 Timothy 3 verse where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, read these last four words with me, for every Every good good work. work. For every good work. The holy word of God says it equips us for every good work, all of them. 
for every single good work. And so every good work that we're tasked with, we may not find directly the answer for every specific situation on the pages of the Bible, but we can always find guidance. We can always find help. The Bible is sufficient. Mm -hmm. It has everything that we need. And it's interesting because many differences in the way we interpret the scripture are actually why churches are divided, why denominations are divided. Um, these issues are often things that the Bible spends very little time talking about. But somehow we get in there and say, well, this, these two verses of all of this is telling us to do this. And we, and we, and we split about things like church government or um, the particulars of spiritual gifts or women in ministry. But what God has told us is the scripture is sufficient. Mm -hmm. It is enough. We need to be careful when we place more emphasis on some of those issues than the Bible actually does, right, particularly right. when they divide us instead of unify us. Amen. I think often we miss the mark when that's happening. So the Bible can be trusted because it has four things. We could talk about this all day, but I summarize them for us this morning. Authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. Amen. That's so good. All right, well, here's what we'd like to do. In closing today, in front of you, uh, in the pew in front of you, there are some of these invite cards, okay? We're going to talk about this for the next four Sundays uh, after today. So take one of these, apply this in your life, regardless of someone's pre-exposure, lack thereof, whatever the case is, take these, invite them to church over the next few weeks, and say like, hey, we're having this discussion. You can take, there's Bibles in there. Take a Bible, give them a Bible and say, dig into this. Uh, because that is really what, what we're working to do here as a church is to just open up this conversation and see where we can go together, okay? We talk about redemptive community all the time here is one of our core values. This is how we live that out together uh, that redemptive community. So would you stand uh, as we close today? And I'm just going to read Philippians 1, 9 through 11 over us as a church, and then I'll pray and we'll close. If you're new, if you're just checking things out, we have pizza with the pastors in the hospitality room. You go out the doors, you take a right. Um, but yeah, this is really what we're working to do in this month of March is to just minister to people, start the conversation, invite people in. Like we said, the Bible can handle our questions. And so let's open it together and let's read. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the opportunity to come into a place, to gather together, to worship you and praise you, and then to open up your word, see what you have to say, throw our questions at it, and receive correction, as 2 Timothy 3 has told us. And so I pray over every person in this room and every person who will walk through the doors over the next four weeks, that we would find common ground in you together, that we would find common ground in your word, and that we would find uh, a direction and a redemptive community that we can go through life with. So I praise you for today and for this place and for all these people. We love you and worship you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Invite your friends, and we'll be back here next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.
You can find all of our podcasts at eeriefirst.org, including this one, as well as the Quintessential Ministry Podcast with Pastor Quint Lindblad. And if you're in or around Erie, Pennsylvania, we'd love for you to come and join us in person. Visit eeriefirst.org to find out more.